and welcome to the Church of St. Martin in the Fields, Philadelphia for the fourth episode in our Lenten hymn sing series. In this week's episode, we welcome Natalie Hill, our Associate for Communications and Administration, who will discuss one of her favorite Lenten hymns. We have really enjoyed reading your reflections and reactions on the hymns presented so far, and we hope you will continue to join us each Friday through Lent, as well as joining us for a special bonus episode on Easter Day. Please do share these videos far and wide and engage with us through the comments section and on our social media pages. If you missed the first three episodes, please do visit our YouTube page where you can access all videos in the series. This week, we mark one year since our lives changed in early 2020. As we pause, learn, and reflect on our hymns, their scripture, and their histories, let us also remember the loss and the sadness we've experienced, but also the progress and challenges overcome in the last 12 months. We will sing again, and how wonderful that first note will be. When Tyrone asked me, which of the Lenten hymns he'd selected I most appreciated. I had two that I liked best. Barb Ballinger got my first choice, but I do also really appreciate when I survey the Wondrous Cross. I think how it speaks to me most, um, while I love the music, is in the text, the poetry of the hymn. I'm fairly well known as a bit of a perfectionist around the office and, and elsewhere in my life. So the hymn's text about leaving behind the vanity of perfectionism, of always trying to do things right, and instead looking to the cross and realizing that all that we do is only through God and not by our own human efforts. I find the text humbling and a good reminder for me on a regular basis. Recognized as the godfather of English hymnody, the author of this hymn, Isaac Watts, was a renowned congregational minister, hymn writer, and poet, born in 1674 and dying in 1748. Watts was the son of a schoolmaster, and he was brought up in his father's religious nonconformist household, his father having been incarcerated twice for his views. Watts held many significant roles and lived with former Lord Mayor of London, Sir Thomas Abney, at his residence of Abney Park until the end of his life, preaching and writing until his final days. Somewhat a prodigy, Watts began studying Latin at age four and writing full verses of the same by the age of seven. Isaac Watts's prolific output of hymns helped to guide a new way of thinking about hymnody in England. His many publications, helped by earlier 16th century leaders such as John Calvin, led to the inclusion of new poetry for original songs of Christian experience to be used in worship. Published in 1780, the hymn tune known today as Rockingham first appears in Aaron Williams's A Second Supplement to Psalmody in Miniature and is known most well in Great Britain and North America for its connection to Isaac Watts's text. 18th century musician Edward Miller began his early adult life as an apprentice to his brick road laying father. Thankfully for the rich history of hymnody, Miller ran away to the town of Lynn in Southeast England and studied music with Charles Burney, a respected music historian. Despite their unorthodox arrivals into church music, their mix of words and music allow us to now sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
The author of this hymn, poet and scholar John Donne, is known as one of the leading figures in metaphysical poetry, as well as for his contributions to theological writing. He is also author to many sonnets, religious poems, songs, and sermons. John Donne was born into a recusant family in 1572, but would later become a clergyman in the Church of England, culminating in his appointment as Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London in 1621. This appointment came by order of the king, as Dunn did not even wish to be ordained. Living in poverty for much of it, Dunn spent his life, and indeed his money, on travel, leisure, and his many love interests. Many settings of John Dunn's works have been produced, including many during his lifetime. John Hilton the Younger, a British early Baroque composer, wrote the melody for this hymn setting of John Dunn's text. Son of another musician and composer, John Hilton the Elder, Hilton the Younger succeeded his father as organist at St. Margaret's Church in Westminster in London in 1628. He would later become the lutenist to Charles I in 1635. His collection of works in Catch That Catch Can of 1652 is an experiment in writing in the catch musical form, a type of canon or round. The harmonization we use today in the hymnal 1982 by Roy Cale is an adaptation of music by the 19th century English composer, pianist, and writer, Elizabeth Poston. A graduate of the Royal Academy of Music, Poston is mostly remembered for her hymns and carols, as well as for scoring for television and radio productions, such as the BBC's 1970 production of Howard's End. It is believed that Poston was also a war agent and secretly used gramophone records to send coded messages to the Allies in Europe. The result of work by two people with extraordinary lives allows us to now sing, Wilt Thou Forgive the Sin? Mm -hmm. 